Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that when we take the shame and secrecy out of sex, we open up the path to freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Hello and welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. Today we are here with MJ, somebody who we know and love and are so excited for you to meet her and hear her story. Um, So MJ has been married for about 11 years. She has three kids Mm -hmm. and she used to be an elementary teacher and she now homeschools her kids and um, just has a beautiful story that I am so excited to hear more about. Thank you, Rachel. And Caitlin. Hi, yes. Welcome. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me and doing this. Absolutely. Yes. So happy to have you here. Um, So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into the big, heavy questions? (laughs) So I am in my late 30s, and uh, most of my life grew up in a conservative Christian church upbringing, Mm -hmm. and um, I've lived um, in like the same kind of place all growing up. My growing up years were really consistent, um, but there was a lot of what you would call smoke and mirrors, like Mm -hmm. just appearing like things were good and together. Um, Parents that were together for a long time and still are, Um, but a lot more behind the scenes stuff that was really confusing. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that sort of foundation, while there's a lot of positives and I'm trying to like in my journey like be grateful for the good and not throughout everything um, to recognize what was unhealthy and what I want to um, focus on like becoming and not mm. worry about what I might become if I think too hard about what my parents did or whatever. And then on top of that, uh, just a lot of confusion around um, what's okay and like with my body and like being so curious, but having no avenue to feel okay about talking about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as a parent, you know, just figuring all of that stuff out as I heal and grow. And, um, so using this space to, um, shed light on that would, is, um, is one of my goals today. And hopefully that, hopefully that made sense. Yes, Totally. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. The, that generational stuff is a whole thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and a big reason why we're yes. here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, so. thank you for sharing that. I'd love to like hear a little more about like, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned being curious and not really knowing mm-hmm. how to ask questions, um, mm-hmm. having a lot of interest and wonderings. Like I would love to hear more about that. Can you dig into what your childhood yes. was like and Totally. Yeah. So I thought that I was, um, bad for one thing, starting pretty young because, um, I discovered, you know, that things 
felt good if you touched them down there, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the genital region. And so I remember getting caught, I guess, for lack of a better term, masturbating mm-hmm. when I was like probably three mm-hmm. on the like laying down in the living room floor. And um, it was like comforting to me. And I don't I don't remember what led to that. I just remember it felt good. And I was, I was three and uh, my mom came in and she scolded me and she was like, don't ever do that again. Like that's disgusting. And we don't do that. And she just like, just clamped down on that. And there was no like discussion of like why, or, you know, it's just like, stop it. And like so much shame. Right. So at that moment, I remember really clearly feeling like so ashamed and like, I didn't know why it was wrong, obviously, like, this is me reflecting now. But I just remember from that point on, like, any kind of curiosity I had about my body, I was like, it's probably bad, you know, and like, I should probably not do that, whatever it was, you know what I mean? Uh, So like, friends, you know, when you're, when you're young, like, we were left unattended. I don't know about other kids, but in the eighties when I grew up, um, like one of my best friends at the time, her dad was a doctor. So naturally they had like a miniature, like little tykes doctor kit and, oh yeah, we played doctor. Like we explored a lot of things, Mm -hmm. you know, including our vulvas and like, we tried to figure out like this thing that, you know, our moms had like a period and mm. like we were probably seven at this point mm-hmm. and we we're just so aware, like looking back and like, wow, that's insane how much, and there was no internet or YouTube or like mm-hmm. very limited shows that we had. We had like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and, you know, um, so it's not like we were being exposed in all these ways that kids are potentially now, but yet we still had quite a lot of awareness mm-hmm. of of these bodily functions and like this mystery around them and but yet not feeling like we can go to the adults mm-hmm. to ask questions like so we had to try and make stuff up like ourselves yeah. <laughs> like come up with theories of like why do you get a period why do you get hair down there like yeah so mm-hmm. we were asking all these questions way before you know the school started teaching you about puberty and, um, and anyways, and then fast forward to when I was, uh, 10, nine, 10 years old, I had, a, I had, uh, we were in a new town. It was a very clicky town and, um, it was hard to, uh, break in and, you know, um, so this one friend I had, she was an only child and got away with, everything Mm -hmm. you know her parents both both worked her mom was there they were um not from Canada and they were very free type people very like artsy and progressive and Mm -hmm. so they let her do all kinds of stuff and sexualized her like her dad's friends um she we were sun tanning when we were like 10 years old and our legs were like out in front of us you know in those long lawn chairs and she was like my dad's friends say I have really curvy lady legs and she's like and she looked over at my very skinny chicken legs and she was like and you just have like kid legs and I said to her I remember saying this to her I am a kid (laughs) like you know just like um and just being so like okay um 
and being pressured to like you know do things in school or around boys like press the pressure like there would be a circle of kids in the stairwell and like pressuring somebody to kiss somebody else and and mm. you know like just looking back it was kind of like this weird combination of so much going on at school and nothing being talked about at home mm. and no questions were asked about what I got up to at my friends houses mm. we got into so much stuff we read women's world magazines we mm. knew all about orgasms by the time we were 10 years old like wow. well we thought we did like right. in theory <laughs> we knew um and yeah and then like the exploration part of it like this friend of mine she like I don't think she's a lesbian now but let's just say she wanted to practice some lesbian things with me and I didn't feel at the time being new and her she my only friend that I could say no mm. so you know and so those things so much shame just kept piled on and on and on and like I I um it was really confusing and yet I was like in people's eyes like adults my parents included like I was a good girl and followed the rules and mm. got good grades um, I was the oldest in my family so there was all that responsibility so I had to keep up this appearance of like goodness yeah. and but inside I was like kind of feeling like really confused and so um and I was very interested in boys um like pretty early on too. So I would say, I would, I don't know, like in those days, I don't think it's probably politically correct anymore to say you're boy crazy, but I, mm -hmm. I was pretty like interested in boys and interested in like this whole thing about sex. And, mm -hmm. and again, not feeling like I could really understand that. Mm -hmm. And then going to Sunday school and being told like, you know, if you, as a girl, if you have sex or even do physical things before you're in a committed marriage, you are like a flower that like the petals are slowly plucked and eventually you're just the stem with a, whatever the, what's the center of the flower called? Anyways, um, I should know this. I, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I know. Because homeschooling That's moms are like, Somebody we still don't know. <laughs> I know. Ugh. Um, anyways, um, yeah, you're just, you're nothing like mm -hmm. you're not beautiful anymore. You're not useful. Nobody's going to want you is the, yeah. is the message, right. That is kind of like internalized. Right. So you like, heaven forbid you do anything. And yeah, there's just a lot of pressure. And then like, it's goes without saying like, and I even talked to somebody recently who was saying how she doesn't want her daughters wearing certain things because she doesn't want them to be the reason a boy stumbles. And mm -hmm. I said, let's just unpack that for a minute. Cause like, that's what I was told too. But like, why on earth is it all on me to make sure that a boy or a man doesn't stumble? Because I can tell you this exchange student, I'll never forget from like Finland. He said, you could be wearing a cardboard box, like a refrigerator box and have like, you know, a helmet on your head, like a motorcycle helmet on your head. And, and guys could still imagine whatever they wanted and fantasize and that's like and so it just shows me that it's more of like a choice that they are making right of what they think is okay to um 
and how they think about women and who is teaching them that. And yeah, so that's a whole other thing. So um, yeah, fast forward to boyfriends. Um, I felt major resistance. Like I, I was curious about the physical aspect and then anytime, like, I'll be honest, I never slept with anyone before my husband, but, um, but yeah, I kissed and there was one guy that like, we definitely made out a lot like heavily and there was a lot of like, yeah, guilt afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so then going into marriage and you're supposed to think, and this is the, I feel like this is the quintessential like Christian girl dilemma of like, you're supposed to not think about sex and like resist mm-hmm. it and not really even know too much about it. And then come wedding night, you're supposed to be like in all your glory. Right. And, you know, this is a common thing I hear from many women who have grown up in a similar way to me. And yeah. And so before my husband and I got married, it was like I had no difficulty wanting to, um, you know, be physical with him. Like I wanted that. Mm-hmm. However, backtracking though, he, um, he was curious. Like he, he admitted, like he was surprised at how far I was willing to go. Um, and he thought I would put up resistance before I did. And I, and I remember I did want to, and I was resentful for quite some time like that. I felt he pushed me beyond what I was comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. And that was a bit of an issue Mm -hmm. of like, regret and resentment in our, in the early stages of our marriage, um, surrounding intimacy, because, um, also something that stuck in my head was, uh, this couple at a church I was attending, um, told me it's better to like, have no regrets, like to be pure and have no regrets. And, um, that's and a tall so order. I felt like that's a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, Oh no, is our marriage doomed? Because we like, almost had sex before we got married. Um, and so, yeah, that really, that really clouded our, my ability to enjoy our intimacy when we did get married, Mm -hmm. like the first few weeks, months even were totally fine, but then it kind of settled in and upon reflection, it was more and more difficult. And then by the time we had our third kid, classic mom syndrome of like just being touched out, And then um, the first symptoms of me really resenting my husband around touch, um, I was like, ooh, where is this coming from? Like, Mm -hmm. why am I feeling resentful toward him Mm -hmm. for wanting to touch me? Mm -hmm. Like, not, and it's not because I'm, it wasn't just because I was touched out. It was also because it was like, I don't want him to touch me. And I felt at that moment, like, maybe I've become asexual. Maybe I'll never want sex again um and that disturbed me because I was like well I'm sure that's not going to go over very well (laughs) if I'm like if I were to tell him that so yeah that's kind of what got me started on the journey of actually figuring out okay I don't like how I feel toward my husband this is different than even when I was just touched out this is like I don't want him to touch me like at all Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because yeah. he's a loving husband. I love him. I am attracted to him. Like, I feel like there's something wrong with me. 
Right. <laughs> so that's that's right? the default, right? <laughs> that's, that's the, the default. default. But you know what? It makes what so much sense because, I mean, think about all those messages you received leading up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Those messages completely primed you to thinking something was wrong with you. Because yeah. everything sexual is a, it comes back to like what the woman is doing or not doing. Yes. So if she doesn't want this, it's got to be her fault because everything's yep. about her. Like <laughs> yes, so. and yet everything is supposed to be for the husband in right. what in the teaching I was given. Like, but you must still have sex because he will start looking at porn, or he will maybe have an affair, right. or he will even maybe not look at porn or have an affair, but he'll start to um, fantasize about other women or something like that. So, like, there's this, just this huge unhappy. pressure. <laughs> like, so many messages yeah. just like, he's just not going to want to help around the house. He's not going to want to help with the kids. Yeah. Like, so give him something. Yeah, it's transactional. Oh, yes, so gross. Yes, so gross. and I, I, um, I think I, I wrote that down. was just, like, how sex was before I started doing work on myself and working through it was that it was obligatory. Mm-hmm. It was transactional. I could enjoy it once it got started, but I never wanted to initiate it. So mm-hmm. that's the, mm-hmm. that's the before. Yeah. Now, thanks to, you know, I did stumble upon Jenna Denton House's course, Wanting It More, mm-hmm. and I followed her sort of emails and stuff for a good solid couple of years mm-hmm. before I jumped in and did the program. And I just... That was that morning that I felt such resentment toward him for reaching over to me to, like, cuddle me in bed. And he literally did this thing. I was like, ugh. I was like, (laughs) don't like that. And I knew that I had to do something quick. Um, So I signed up for the course, and that was that. And Mm -hmm. it helped so much. Um, At first, he couldn't see the benefits, but um, now he does. Mm -hmm. Like, it's been two years since I took the course. And yeah, and I'm so glad that that happened. Um, it just illuminated so many things. It helped me not to feel so alone. You, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing all of that. I think there is yes. so much relatability in your story. Like I resonated with so many of the things you were saying. Um, I'm so grateful to you to open up about this and shed light on this because the more we have these conversations, the more we can heal. Mm-hmm. Um yes. Mm-hmm. But what what the overarching theme that really came through to me is like, oh my goodness, how much our culture has set up to fail sexually. Like mm-hmm. from the age of three, when you told that story. Yes. And actually, right before this, I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Lori Brado, who um, she, she works mm-hmm. with women's sexuality. And she was telling us about you know, at the age of like three, when these things are very normal developmentally to happen, that is like one Mm -hmm. of the times that we uh, diverge of how we treat girls Mm -hmm. and how we treat boys. Because a Mm three-year-old that is um, a a little boy that's getting a boner, like he Mm -hmm. doesn't, is that the correct word still? I think it is. (laughs) Is there something else (laughs) Yeah. You know, his penis is getting bigger. Um, that's just like, oh, normal, like nobody really bats an eye at that. That, And people are like, well, it's not sexual. It's fine. That's just part of development. Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. a female doing the same thing will often be admonished and, you know, told Mm -hmm. from such a young age 
that is wrong. You are bad to think yeah. anything. And, and then you gave terrific examples throughout your life of like how this story is reinforced over and over yes. and over. And of course, those stories live in our body. Like, how could yeah. they not? Of course, they're going to come into our current sex lives and in adults and into our marriages. Um, it's just we are facing such an uphill battle against what we're battling yeah. in, in our culture. So thank you for sharing all yeah. those, um, you know, profound examples that I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with. We all have so many stories. That's the thing. So many stories. Like there, yeah. there's so many to choose from. There's so like, mm -hmm. and I think that that's so important to recognize how much shame is stacked up in our lives. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going yeah. back to three, you know, like, and mm -hmm. there's probably, there's like dozens more, I bet of moments where just oh, yeah. that shame is piled on. And then what comes from the shame? Isolation, a sense that like, I'm alone in this and I'm dirty. Right. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me, even at, as a child. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, to think there's something wrong with you at three, like that just breaks yeah. my heart. Like, yeah. And those are the cycles we have control over changing as yes. we have kids, as we are around children and like, like showing up for when we show up for ourselves, we get to show up for those people differently. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I think my mom, like to be fair to her, and this is, this is her story, but it's fact. Like I have a, I have a half sister who lives in another part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, my mom was not from where, I, like the country I am. I'm in Canada, and um, um, my mom got pregnant at 15 and gave birth at 16, and there was so much shame for her with that. Mm -hmm. Right um, at the time, they were shutting down abortion clinics where she was from, and they couldn't find anywhere to do that, um, her parents, that is. And so they, they um, hustled her off to a, a women's shelter run by Catholic nuns. And it was, like, horrific. And she was there for the whole duration of her pregnancy. And she, she, she gave birth, like, with these nuns around her. Um, she was separated from her baby immediately. She had to come home and, and tell people that she was at boarding school for a year. And just like all of that shame, um, and I, to, be, to my knowledge, it's not been sorry, like sort of thoroughly, properly dealt with still, mm -hmm. like 50 years later. So um, it's really tough. And so I, I am, I understand my mom is coming from a like a sort of place of shame herself, and mm -hmm. like just clamping down on any sign of like, I guess, rogue sexuality mm -hmm. as early as possible, right? Because maybe because yeah. of what happened to her, like maybe she wasn't thinking those things at the moment that she like stopped me, but it had to have come from something like that. That's how I try to have, I don't know, grace yeah. for her. Absolutely. How, and then my dad, you know, when I was 13, sat me down and I remember thinking, Dad, you're way too late. Like, he sat me down with the James Dobson mm -hmm. sexuality kit thing my and mom used that threw too. it with me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I had to sit on the couch with my dad and go through the sexuality book at 13. <sighs> and I'm like, this is so awful. Like, I just wanted to run away and crawl off the couch and, like, mm -hmm. tell him to 
throw those daubs and books away. But I sat there and endured it Mm -hmm. like a good daughter. But it was so awful. Like I just, I I remember thinking like, I never want to do this to my kids. So (laughs) I'd love, can you explain a little more like, um, Mm-hmm. how you felt in that moment receiving that information from your dad. Like you said that you wanted those books to be thrown oh, yeah. away. Like was the information in them a problem or is it more the fact that your dad was giving it to you or was it because you were 13? Like I'm curious. I think, yeah, all the above. So like I was 13, I was well aware of what sex was by this point. Right. I got my period at age 10. Mm. Thank goodness I watched the movie My Girl because oh. otherwise I would have liked her. I thought I was dying because yeah. – you know, I was like a pole and nobody would have suspected that I would menstruate at 10. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no signs of that, but, um, yeah. So, and then all the other stuff and the knowledge that I had gleaned from Mm -hmm. women's world magazines, like it was just unnecessary. Um, plus to be honest, um, I'm not going to, go on a huge rant against focus on the family, but, um, I just have some major reservations about, uh, some of their, what they promote and, um, specifically James Dobson. And, um, I think it actually potentially started, he was one, one of maybe the first that I can recall reading in his books about the problem of men and lust and how all kind of generalizing that all men do it. And I love how Sheila uh, Gregoire from, you know, her blog post to love, honor and vacuum. She points out that like, and I think others probably have pointed out too. I don't know if that's unique to her, but um, that you've just given yourself away. Like if you're saying all men lust, then hello, (laughs) then you're saying you do. And so that creeped me out because, um, like my dad was sitting next to me and he also used phrases like when it came to discussing, um, romantic scenes in movies and stuff, he, he would call kissing like, like passionate kissing, like sucking face. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being so disgusted by that term even as a child, just being like, I don't like that. Like it just feels, and looking back, I think it was because it was degrading and it just was dishonoring to anyways, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing. But, but sitting beside him, it was just, it felt really awkward. It felt like he was just ticking a box to say like, I'm a good dad. I, I did this thing with my daughter and how, how cool that I'm, I'm her dad. We must have a really good relationship to be able to, sit here and do this together. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt really fabricated to me because my dad and I had like the appearance of like a decent relationship, but really he was completely out of touch mm-hmm. with us. Like, yeah. um, and he still is like, in fact, you know, this is part of the reason why I wanted to be like a bit anonymous is that like, you know, he's been unfaithful to my mom mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet he then just wants forgiveness. He's like, well, you have to forgive me. The Bible says so. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but you know, that's a whole other discussion, but it's just appalling to me how many men I grew up around going to church that would not look at me, look at me. Mm -hmm. They looked elsewhere because I realized they're taught that like, 
You don't want to make eye contact with a woman lest you start connecting with her and maybe you'll start lusting after her. It's like this like mm-hmm. fear, fearful right. chain of events and like the whole rules of a, like if you have a female teenage babysitter, you mustn't drive her home if you're the man because mm-hmm. it's a, yeah. So all these rules and all these like, it's like we're dangerous. Like these, mm-hmm. we women are like, we're, even if we haven't done a thing, mm-hmm. even if we're, we're like covered head to or neck to feet, we're still in a danger to these, our brothers. And yeah. it just always felt really all lopsided to me and still does. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious how those messages you internalized about men translated mm-hmm. to how you perceived your husband. So with him, um, part, of the, part of it was we had to have a lot of discussions that were not easy discussions, but, um, you know, surrounding what he thought was his role in, like, leading our sexual experiences. Again, sexual experience, another Janet term. Um, <laughs> that, that, like, he had to be, like, what he saw in Hollywood, right? Um, like, he had to take control and, you know rip off my clothes and it's all dramatic and lots of movement and like, I didn't like that, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I didn't always feel like I could say that. And after I took the wanting it more course, I felt like I could be truly honest about like, Mm -hmm. there's some stuff that I don't like. And there's some things that you do that I don't like. There's some things that I don't mind if you do anytime, but Otherwise, you need to let me initiate the, the things, whatever that is. So that's helped a lot. But at first, like, he had to get over his own ego, right? Mm-hmm. Of, like, what? Like, I'm not he, – he had to realize that I will desire him more. He will be more desirable to me if he's a safe person mm-hmm. to me. And, like, that sounds crazy because he would never hurt me um, intentionally, especially like verbally or anything like that, and definitely not physically. I totally trust that, but safe as in, I felt safe in my own body around him. He had to believe me that I wanted to, I wanted to engage in these things with him and, um, desire him. And, but it took time, right? It took, well, I've been at it for a couple of years specifically now. And, um, it's been a, it's been a process and finally we're seeing more fruits of Mm -hmm. the work that I've been doing and that like, I'm feeling more motivated, um, to initiate our intimacy times. That's awesome. And it's, and it's way more fun and it's better. And, um, I love the word nourishing, Mm -hmm. um, that it's connecting and all of those things that, uh, that I learned in the wanting it more course, but took a while to sort of see happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I have so many questions. Um, why do you think it takes so much time for Mm. a man to accept or believe you said the word believe you? Like why Mm -hmm. does it take so much time for a man to believe you? That's a great question. I think that it's also just like, we as women have been programmed and essentially trained to believe 
our role, what our role is if we're a, especially if we're in a heterosexual relationship. Um, they've, I think, been just as equally trained too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like for a long time, my husband, without, I, like, I think he would admit maybe that he had the, the sort of taller end of the stick, if you will, like his whole life, like just so much privilege. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now like to feel like he doesn't maybe have as much agency in an area that he was taught his whole life that he's supposed to have control over. Um, and, uh, and there's a boundary there. Like what? I have a boundary <laughs> and that, you know, um, but that's for the sake of our, the well-being of our relationship. And so for him to see it played out, it took some time, right, to, to deprogram the damaging sort of egotistical, misogynistic, patriarchal um, teachings and even images he probably had in his head from various romantic movies that he would have watched with his four sisters growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and just this idea of, you know, what, what is a man? And he didn't have a very good example of that in his father at all. His, his father was into pornography. My husband found, you know, videotapes stashed in like random places and would give them to his mom and his, he, my husband at the time when he was like eight found what he thought was like an aerobic VHS, but it was, it was pornography. And then a few years later as a teenager for the first time saw actual porn in the form of magazines in his dad's briefcase. Um, his dad at work was known as the porn again, Christian Mm -hmm. and just like horrible stuff that my husband was honestly embarrassed, um, to have his dad, um, doing those things and getting in trouble with teenage girls that were in their home because they're, you know, they're four daughters. So there's always, there were always friends around and like he made so many girls uncomfortable to the point that he got, he got in trouble like with, um, internally with like the church they were going to at the time and was like, had to step down from any kind of leadership volunteer like stuff that he was doing um so like my husband watched all this and he was just like I don't want to be anything like my dad you know Mm -hmm. so he didn't have a good example of what it was to like how to treat women properly and how to Mm -hmm. how to be an honorable man and um that's really sad and like in fact to the point that we're not in contact with his dad because his dad felt entitled to just hug me whenever he wanted and be close to me or like just be where I was. They, they lived on our property. Um, now he's, he's gone and he's not allowed on our property because the last straw was he went into my underwear drawer and stole a whole bunch of underwear. And then he, and then a few days later, he very neatly put it back. And I'll be honest, if I showed you my underwear drawer, which is right there now, it used to be over there. Um, I had to switch even the drawers because it was too much. Um, but, uh, it was like he was sending a message. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was so obvious that it wasn't me that put my underwear there like that. And it smelled like their laundry detergent and stuff. And it was very violating. And it was, 
I was in denial for a couple of days that it was him that did it, but I knew it was. And, um, and, uh, long story short is that, yeah, he's, he's no longer in our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show you how like his dad tried to use the excuse. Well, it's, it's like in my, it's in my genes. Like my dad was like this and I'm like this. And Lucas is like, Hey, I'm not like this. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a choice. You don't just become by default, a creepy 60 something year old man, you know, you make choices every day. Um, so yeah. Uh, where was I going with that? I don't know anywhere. My husband, how did I view him? Yeah. I had some resentment and I, I really had to work to let go of that and believe him as well that he truly does want to be connected and he wants our relationship to be healthy. Um, he's, he's got, I would say that he and I, I'll just talk about him, but I know he's talked with his friends about it too. Like they have some, it seems like these guys that on the outside seem appear really confident and say they're like by the world standards, like fairly good looking guys. There's no reason for them, you know, to, to lack any confidence. And yet a rejection by their wives is like the ultimate blow. It seems to mm. their egos. And, um, then they want to like, I don't know, um, make a point of proving themselves somehow. So they have to prove that they are like able to win in the bedroom. And mm -hmm. so, um, so I think it's been a journey for my husband to trust me and to let go of some of those insecurities. Um, yeah. because those insecurities are like pretty much every time we have um, some kind of conflict, like if it's me coming to him about something um, like sharing a need I have and he's got an insecurity about it. Typically he will come like within hours or at least the next day and say, I reacted poorly. Like that was my insecurities. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's learning for him too. And it's hard, right? Holding the line. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. But I'm I. But when you get to that point in your marriage where it's like, do I want a marriage like my parents or my in-laws? No. And how did that happen? They have no tools, or even if they had the tools, they didn't. They weren't brave enough to actually face the issues head on when they started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they got bigger and bigger. And I would say that in both of our parents' marriages, they snowballed, and it was like irreparable. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You are doing the good work of changing your family tree. That's what I'm hearing. Trying. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and I also want to say thank you for sharing that story about your father-in-law, just because I think many of us have these things that we've experienced as either in our families or just our other experiences in our life that we don't talk about, that this stuff goes on behind closed doors mm -hmm. um, all too often. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things we're trying to do here is shine light on that darkness because that's, you know, yes. how we can grow and move forward from it. Um, so thank you for yeah. being vulnerable enough um, to share that with us. One thing that you said that, you know, for me, I love talking about doing the work. And you said mm -hmm. um, that you have been seeing the fruits of doing the work in your marriage. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could just talk for a minute about um, what doing the work in your marriage and your sex life has looked like for you. 
Well, for me, in simple terms, it's like when it comes to being intimate, um, trying to like work. We have small children, so having like a regular time, as suggested in the Wanting It More program, for example, wasn't always super feasible. So we had this like we have a broader like between Friday night and Sunday night, sometime in there. I need I need to and want to initiate some kind of like connection time. For us, I really um, enjoy being like physically affectionate in. Um, the privacy of our relationship. And so um, it's not a problem for me to initiate um, sexual intimacy when we're alone and when there is a space to do that. Um, So I think I feel sort of, I don't know, apologetic in what I'm saying a little bit because I'm aware of the many, many women that don't enjoy like just the act of sex, period. Mm -hmm. Like they don't enjoy penetration. They don't enjoy being touched much at all. But for me, it wasn't that I didn't like the sex part and the like, you know, even being naked or anything like that. It was the entitlement problem and the the just Mm -hmm. feeling like I just had to allow it, you know, and Mm -hmm. whatever touch he wanted to do, I had to let him do that. And I, I didn't like that. Um, I didn't, I felt like I was a human pacifier, you know, um, especially after having babies, right. You're just like, uh, like I'm, you know, just finished nursing my last kid finally, you know, and then now it's just like, now I'm, I just, yeah, it just felt like an extension of that. And so that has all gone away. And so, um, so I, I don't feel the pressure anymore. Like anytime I felt him being a little pouty or a little, I don't know, aloof or whatever, however he presented his need without speaking words. Um, and I sensed it, I was, I was like instantly angry inside, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, doesn't happen anymore because he trusts me that I will initiate touch and physical affection. I'm still not, I'm still like the one area is like, you know, just going about our daily lives around the house or in the yard or whatever. And kids around is like, I'm getting better at initiating just touches like that aren't necessarily sexual. Um, that is still an area I need to grow in my family of origin, not a touchy family. So Mm -hmm. just doesn't come very naturally to me to like squeeze someone's shoulders or Mm -hmm. just a spontaneous hug, but, but I'm, I'm getting there. Well, I've got to, I've got to ask you though, do you enjoy those spontaneous hugs and those shoulder squeezes? Yes, I do. Like that's one of the things my husband is allowed to do anytime he can initiate a Mm -hmm. hug he can rub my shoulders. Um, yeah, he can even like initiate, like just maybe not like a French kiss, but like kiss on the mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, that's Mm -hmm. fine with me. Um, yeah, so I do, but I still need to, I know he likes those. And so I would like to get better. Um, because I do enjoy hugging him. I don't, I don't enjoy, like, I think, well, I'm an HSP, highly sensitive person. Mm. So there's, like, definitely some touches that I struggle with in general because of just texture and 
-hmm. too much pressure, not enough pressure. Like I don't like light things. I don't like being tickled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I just need to point out here um, Mm -hmm. the profoundness of, first of all, your awareness and noticing of those things, Mm -hmm. of what you like Mm -hmm. and not do not like. And then also your communication of that with your husband Mm -hmm. like that. I don't think that a lot of people, I mean, some are, but many people are not having those conversations in their Mm -hmm. marriage and just how essential it is um, to, to get to know what you like and then communicate that to your partner. It sounds so simple to say it out loud now, but it's not Mm -hmm. simple or intuitive for many women um, in the way that we've brought, been brought up. Well, and it doesn't help if your husband's going to get like really emotional about it and reactive and defensive, Mm -hmm. like that's scary. Right. And my husband did get reactive and defensive as far as like, at first it was difficult for him to hear that I didn't like this or that, but ultimately it's like, well, the alternative is me internalizing it and keeping it suppressed and then bitterness and resentment growing out of that. So, um, Mm -hmm. like he might give some pushback sometimes. Um, if I'm like sharing with him as carefully and honestly as I can, and I try to be tactful, but I am, I don't always succeed because I'm human. Mm -hmm. Right. But, um, but if he knows ultimately that I'm like, you know, I'm not off. I'm like that there is something Mm -hmm. amiss. He will, yeah, come into alignment with me on it. And so I think like that's, again, another encouraging thing from the Wanting at Work course that I gleaned. It was like conflict can mean growth. So like you don't have to be so adverse and afraid of like when you have a little Mm -hmm. spats. um, If you're both ultimately willing to work through it, then you will. So wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Gosh, I have so many more questions, but I feel like this is a great place to just sit in all this goodness that you've shared. One final question for you. Um, Just a little nugget. Um, What do you wish you could tell your younger self now about sex? Right. Just it is normal and okay and more than okay to Think about what sex is, wonder what it will be like, wonder what the purpose is, um, learn about it from people that are educated enough that they are not going to just, mm-hmm. like if I could have had a Sheila Gregoire um, to read, if I could have read that that book, I haven't even read it all, but um just following her stuff, just knowing how much freedom there can be in, in our bodies and in pleasure, that pleasure is good. And that having pleasure with your partner is good. And, um, that it's good for you again, another wanting more thing, but that the mystery that it seems so unattainable um, not to, not to, on one hand, not to elevate it so much and like make it this, you know, out of reach thing to the point that it's, it's going, it's this like epic 
thing that's going to happen maybe one day, you know, only to realize like it's a very normal thing mm-hmm. that people do every day that if done in a healthy way can really enrich your relationship with your spouse. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think taking some of the mystique out of it would have been helpful and also just normalizing it like you're both trying to do. And I think that mm-hmm. would have been great. That's what have been. It would have been good. Yes. So keep normalizing it and normalize talking about it. Yes. Thank you for being here. Honestly, I was on the edge of my seat just hearing your story. So thank you. Thank you, ladies. For being brave enough to share. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story resonated with you, we invite you to continue the conversation by joining our free online community. Go to nottonight.org slash community to connect with other women just like you. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 